Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello, it's Manveen, bringing you a bonus episode this weekend. It's been a busy political week. On Thursday, we brought you our full analysis of the long-awaited Sue Gray report. Although there is still a trickle of resignations and calls of no confidence in the Prime Minister coming in from the Tory benches, most of Westminster is now left wondering if Boris Johnson remains as leader of the Conservative Party, can it win the next election? How will the cost-of-living crisis affect the way people vote, particularly in the red wall of former Labour seats. While everyone else was waiting for Sue Gray, on Tuesday, two of the country's leading political scientists published a major new study. It busts a series of myths about the so-called Red Wall. They spoke to Matt Chorley on the Times Red Box podcast, and we thought the discussion was so interesting that you might want to have a listen. I'll be back with Stories of Our Times on Monday, but for now, over to Matt Shawley. Oh, you're going to head back to the 2019 general election when the Red Wall came tumbling down. That's what everyone was talking about. Well, the Conservatives won key marginals from Greater Manchester, Lincolnshire, the Black Country, Northumberland, seats like Lee, Workerton, Blind Valley and Redcar. The first time in decades that some had turned blue. In fact, some had been red since the dawn of time. Since then, politicians have become obsessed with the Red Wall. But should they be? Two political scientists say they need, this, they need to end this preoccupation with the Red Wall and focus on real voters where they actually live. Joining me to talk uh, uh, through the report, which is out today, is Professor Jane Green from the Nuffield College of Oxford University part of the British Election Study. Morning. Good morning. Nice, nice to have to you, you with us. And uh, Dr Rose de Goose from the University of Reading. Morning to you as well. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. So uh, the report is called Red Wall, Red Herring. Jane, first of all, just explain to me where we talk about the Red Wall, because there's even a disagreement as to where, yeah. it, where is the Red Wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You know, it's just been really interesting, hasn't it? So when James Canagosorium put forward this idea of the Red Wall, he was, you know, brilliant. It was a really important identification of key seats that had been moving towards the Conservatives over time. And they, of course, then fell in very, very large number in 2019. Now, we absolutely think that's a really helpful distinction. And those seats are really important to identify. And, and what he said was really accurate and really helpful. But what's happened is we now think about those seats in all sorts of ways. And and, you know, people have really, I think, thought about the increasing support for the Conservatives amongst working class voters and lower income voters and, and made that assumption now that, well, actually, the Conservatives are really appealing to people who are left behind, people who have low incomes, people who really feel you know, that they, they they need much more support, hence levelling up. And obviously there was a lot of reason behind that in terms of Brexit too. But what we wanted to do was just say, well, actually the predominant Conservative support is among more economically secure voters. If you kind of think about caricatures about these people are left behind and they don't like immigration and they're very pro-Brexit, you know, for whom lots is that true? Lots of assumptions are being made there. And it's, yeah. also, it's also the sort of the implication that, Red wall equals north equals poor. That's right. the, the sort of the thread that, that runs through it all the time. So yeah. let, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's jump in. We've got five main takeaways from your report. Red wall. Yeah, we've got lots of these. So uh, bear with us. Uh, Rose, first of all, let's talk about then economic security. Who are the economically insecure? Which, which parties are doing well amongst those groups? Because the, the implication has been... Labour lost all of the poor, insecure, economically insecure people, and that's where the toys made gains. Yes, yeah. So in the report, we look at this concept of economic uh, security, and we kind of say, you know, we often look at income as a way to establish if people are well off, but really there's much more to to someone's financial situation. And so we really look at whether or not people feel that they are economically secure, and we find that this is much more related to other things, such as their, um, you know, if they're in stable work, uh, if they own a home is very important, and whether they have savings. And so if we look at kind of someone's financial or economic situation in that way, we find actually that older people on average, uh, so this is obviously averages, are much more economically secure than younger people. And specifically, we find that the group that's most economically insecure is younger people without a graduate degree. And so we find that in older generations, it was obviously much less likely that people had a degree. And so this distinction between people with and without a degree in terms of their economic security is much smaller for older people. Whereas for younger people, we start to see this growing divide between people who do have a a degree and people who don't. Uh, And so we really find that it's the younger people without degrees that are economically insecure, whereas older voters, older people, uh, even those uh, without a university degree, because they've been able to build up these assets and wealth. And again, these are average. They're sort of more settled in life. Whatever they ended up doing, they might, you know, they might have bought a house or they're content with rent or whatever it might be that they are... They know where they are. Exactly, yes, yes. And because obviously it used to be the case that far fewer people went to university and so that was less of a determinant in terms of being able to do things like buy a house or uh, build up uh, savings. And so that's why we kind of say, well, obviously these differences across generations are really important but also the differences within generations are really important. So when we talk about the Conservatives making gains in the Red Wall, Were they making those gains amongst older, actually economically secure people? 
in the sense that they won uh, a majority and that they made gains, they will have done well amongst all groups in yeah. the electorate. So that's that's clear. And so in that sense, they will have made some gains amongst these younger non-graduate voters, for sure. But the core of their support is stale with these older, more secure, economically secure voters. And that's, that's where their base is coming from. OK, we yeah. move on. Let's talk about who these people really are and what they think about things. You touched on immigration, but the, the, the portrayal of it, people in the Red Wall supported Brexit, they don't like immigration, right. culturally conservative. Is that true? One of the things that you might think is that somebody who's got economic grievances and who really feels economically insecure, those are the people that have the strongest kind of concerns about immigration. They have the strongest support for Brexit and they may be more socially conservative. And that's the kind of what we'd think. So that's definitely the case for some people who do feel economically left behind, um, who do have concerns about their economic situation and do have concerns about immigration and want to support Brexit because of it. But the key thing is that if we look at the people with the greatest economic security, those are the people with the strongest support for Brexit and the strongest anti-immigration concerns and the strongest social conservatism. And so we just really need to think about this across kind of those age and education splits. We've known for, you know, since 2019 and 2017 that age and education is super important. But I think, you know, it's just kind of breaking that down and saying, well, at older age groups, as Rose was saying, the education divide isn't very big economically. At younger groups, it is. And that leads us to those different expectations because we find that it's the older individuals who support Brexit the most, who have the strongest concerns about immigration, but also are the most economically secure. So so essentially the, the, the characterization has been people who voted for Brexit were the people who for whom life was not great and they wanted to roll the dice for a change. Yeah. And actually there's a big group of people who for, for whom life was pretty good, they were pretty secure, so therefore there was no risk for them yeah. giving it a go and and remembering that the the coalition in support of Brexit was made up of both of those groups exactly and it's just we all we really wanted to say today was that we just wanted to refocus really because the the coalition of support for leave was very broad like you mm. say it was comprised of people who yes felt economically left behind and also had concerns about immigration but it was also very heavily comprised of these people that felt economically secure and the interesting thing then is well does that mean that leveling up's not a good idea or does that mean that inequality across the country needs to be resolved that's different and so it might be the case that you've got people that feel quite secure but they live in parts of the country that have indeed been left behind and that's a sort of you know that we just need to I think politicians need to think well that leveling up agenda needs to appeal to people that have economic security and those who don't as well. And when it comes to being sort of culturally conservative and the culture wars that we hear a lot about is that a fair reflection of the way? When we hear that, you know, the government's starting around about flags or statues or right. the BBC or whatever, is that what's playing well in the Red Wall? So we can't tell you exactly what's playing well in the Red Wall, but we can say, you know, from our evidence, we think that the economy is going to be really crucial. I mean, it's always really crucial. Yeah. And it sort of, it sounds like, I mean, even saying that, it's like, well, yeah, of course. But actually, if the Conservatives have had, you know, a lot of their support, A, because of Brexit, yes, but B, because people felt secure, then losing that security is a really big deal. And it's also a really big deal for Labour, because Labour's support has been predominantly amongst graduates and younger graduates. And you might think, Think, oh well they'll just stick with the Labour Party because they care about you know they share Labour's values on those sort of culture issues but actually if they become more economically secure then Labour needs to needs to think about that too so in the context of the cost of living crisis the loss of economic security could be really damaging especially of course to the party in government at the at the time. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Rose, we're talking, let's talk at the voting behavior. Because one of the things which I think sometimes gets overlooked when we talk about the Red Wall, because it's Boris Johnson who smashed down the Red yep. Wall in 2019 but actually Theresa May did quite a lot of chipping away at the it's not the grout is it whatever the the, the mortar that's holding the bricks together in the red wall in 2017 so this is a, this is not a sort of blip in 2019 this has been part of a trend yeah yeah we kind of show as well that the big transition towards like these age and education divides actually already starts in 2017 and so this is really not just a story about shifts that just occur in 2019 or just occur under Boris Johnson. So already in 2017, we see younger voters going to the Labour Party uh, much more clearly. And in the wake of the Brexit referendum, we also see that the Conservative Party really becomes the party that gains all of this support amongst mostly non-graduate voters, whereas Labour becomes the party of the graduate. But as as Jane mentions, the temptation is a bit to say, OK, and so all these you know non-graduate voters are also the social conservative pro-Brexit voters and all these graduate voters are all the kind of socially progressive voters. And to some extent, obviously, those two things do go together. But again, as we say, when we look actually at uh, across the age uh, divide, then we find that it is the older non-graduate voters that are actually the most socially conservative. And so younger voters in general were more pro-Remain, obviously, but it mattered a lot whether or not people also had a degree or not, and whether they were economically secure or not. And so to just look at one or two things is a bit, doesn't it's quite show that it, it's complicated, exactly. And when we're talking about graduates and non-graduates, is there something about the red wall that there are fewer graduates? Does that, does that play a difference? Or is there a proportion of graduates even across the country? So it's really important to think about kind of which of the key groups. So we wanted to identify which of the key groups that we might want to worry about um, in terms of this economic security story. There's been loads of focus on older non-graduates, where they live, so in the in the Red Wall, and lots of those constituencies which have seen economic decline over time have also seen an ageing of the electorates as there's been a kind of brain drain, younger people moving. But then there's been also been this focus on younger graduates. What there hasn't been is a focus on younger non-graduates. So we don't mean young, by the way. We mean, not. I mean, it depends what you think of young. Obviously, we're all young. But, you know, we mean women under 50 and men under 40. So this is working They're considered age. younger. 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 In electoral terms. Younger for us. So this is obviously because we're trying to look across the age distribution and see where the changes are. So we have to kind of differentiate between yeah. older and younger. But, you know, what's really crucial for us is this key group of younger 
non-graduates because these people do report higher economic insecurity and it wasn't obvious to us where these people would be living and if you look at the constituency map of where these people live we use 2011 data that's the latest data we've got so we really want to look at this again when the new census data comes out but these people are living in all parts of the country we see them in cities we see them in rural areas we see them in labor holds we see them in conservative gains we see them in areas of the country that voted very strongly for brexit and we see them in areas of the country that voted a bit more strongly for remain. So there's a really important picture. And some of these constituencies have really high proportions of younger non-graduates. And so, you know, they're conservative held or the Labour held, they're really important segment of the electorate that we'd like to direct a bit more focus on too. So go on then, let's, uh, as we continue our trawl for red herrings, here's number four. Everyone talks about the left behind. Who is really left behind, Jane? Or is being left behind in the eye of the beholder? Yeah, I think, I think it's really, you know, there's places... that that I think genuinely in the country that really feel left behind. And that might mean they feel ignored and that might mean that there's all sorts of economic outcomes. But then there are obviously individuals within those places and so there are people who feel economically insecure. We're focusing on this feeling, these kind of worries, these people that really worry about, you know, whether or not they can meet an emergency expense. Have they had to borrow money? We find in our data, we look at whether or not people have had to borrow money in the last 12 months for essentials. So this is a really precarious precarious lifestyle. This is not just people that don't have loads of savings. You know, this is people that really are struggling to get by. You know, as we've said many times, reports of having to borrow and also not being able to find, you know, money for an emergency expense are much higher amongst younger non-graduates. So these are the under 50s or the under 40s. You know, we we studied this in 2018. We had um, new British election study data in 2018. And of course, that was before the COVID pandemic and before the cost of living crisis. And so what's concerning is that there were these really high levels of concern about the economy for these individuals before these economic shocks. And so that's a real worry. And we also find that women are more likely to report higher economic insecurity. And that tends to be true even for sort of women graduates versus male graduates. It tends to be true for women pensioners versus male pensioners. Um, So that's a cause of concern as well, because obviously these are historic inequalities that are then running through. And also ethnic minorities are more likely to report higher economic insecurity as well. And Rose, what happens then if we have the obvious concern, given what's happening with the economy right now, is going to be even more of those people who are struggling yeah. with essentials and so on. Is there an, a sort of political analysis to where those people go? Or is it more straightforward that actually what we've seen, in fact, people have talked about it after the Australian results, people just vote for the other lot. And yeah. that actually what happened after the financial crash was, you know, 2008, 9, 10 was people voted out what were then actually quite lots of left-wing governments and then were replaced with right-wing government. And actually what the opposite now seems to be happening. How much of that are we just overcomplicating this? If people are having a tough time, do they vote for change? I mean, it's always difficult to predict, obviously, but we do find that people who have higher levels of economic insecurity are more likely to vote for the Labour Party. And so there is a strong relationship there. And so it would suggest that as people become less and less uh, secure, they might start moving away from the Conservative Party in that sense. And specifically, given that we show that, you know, the source of economic security has been a very strong source of support for the Conservative Party. I guess having having said that, is that it's obviously also always a, a story of supply. So it will depend a lot on what, uh, you know, each of the parties offers. How do they speak to these groups of voters? What kind of policies might they 
provide. So it's a bit, in terms of a general trend, economic insecurity should benefit the Labour Party. But if they are unable to connect to these people or if they're unable to, uh, you know, really communicate these people's concerns, then it's it's not necessarily clear that that's where everyone will go. It's also obviously possible that people would disengage entirely. So if they yeah. feel, you know, that neither of the parties is Play really... Play the houses. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. If, if, no, if they feel no one is really hearing their concerns, then they might go somewhere else entirely or they might decide to just stay at home. Okay, we come to number five in our trawl of red wall, red herrings. So I suppose let's let's look forward then. Where James Canagasorium came up with the red wall originally mm. and it's been completely stretched and distorted out of all meaning. What are the issues or places or types of voters we should be keeping an eye on so that we can claim that we know what's going on in politics? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about who I would say if I were... You know, if I was having to make this decision about where these target groups were, I would really be concerned about the change over time in who's feeling more economically insecure now. Um, so we were able to look at this, as I said, in 2018. We're in the, what we say, in the field. So we're running questions. We're asking people at the, at the current time in the British election study some of these questions again. And so that's going to be really crucial because I think it's going to be the people that feel more insecure. I think those are going to be the groups. And like we've tried to say, that's not necessarily just focused on one part of the country. The people People that we think are most of ri- at risk are feeling more economically insecure. And, you know, some evidence since the pandemic indeed shows that the kinds of people that are going to do, that were most affected by the pandemic were those people that already started out um, feeling more economically precarious. So I think, you know, those people are living all in all kinds of constituencies Then lots of those constituencies where the Conservative Labour marginals are. So looking at people who have become more insecure and indeed if pensioners become more economically insecure now, because, you know, this is not like we're not saying that this is fixed in stone. Some of these groups may indeed now through the cost of living crisis really, really start to struggle. And I suppose if if you considered yourself an economically secure pensioner and then then you don't. Yeah. That's as much of a shock to the system than if you're a young person who enters an economically insecure jobs market. That's right. And, you know, you, you might be sitting on a, on you know, you might have a, your own home, but that's not, you know, if you can't actually warm your house, yeah. I mean, that's that's severe. And, um, you know, you don't necessarily have a liquid asset that you can sell. So unless you have savings, unless you have, you know, some kind of other buffer, then indeed losing, being on a low income and losing that sense of safety. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I think economic insecurity or security is so important is it really just makes us feel safe, you know, and losing that sense of safety, I think, would be, you know, very, very powerful. It's all basic human instinct. Can you put a roof over your head and put food on the table? Yeah. Um, Rose, I want to ask you, and I suspect this is an entirely separate conversation, about the blue wall. Uh, Because there's been lots of talk about the blue wall which I even got cross, cross about because maybe what was just said which is a Tory it's not just a Tory you know it feels to me like it's the place which has been Tory for a long time and then might be shifting is, is there anything we can read across between the red wall and the blue wall? Ooh I don't really know about that to be honest um, I, I think you know the blue wall is obviously these, you know, parts of the country where the Liberal Democrats are kind of the exactly, big the threat. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And they're wealthier um, constituencies on average. And the problem with, like, just thinking about geography is that, you know, what we've got in blue wall seats is lots of individuals who don't feel wealthy. Yes. And indeed won't feel wealthy um, come the next general election unless something really radical changes. So, you know, we've really tried to kind of say, well, the electoral coalitions of the parties really lie within these places yeah, yeah. rather than kind of looking at the 
them as dichotomous kind of groups of areas of the country. And quite often the the, the argument about the blue wall, particularly you know in the, in the southwest, is that uh, because they're rural, therefore they must be quite posh. Right. And actually, there's lots of rural poverty, and so that economic yeah. insecurity plays into that as well. Yeah, and I think what what Jane says is very true that both with the the red wall and the blue wall. Um, I guess what we're kind of cautioning against is that we attribute these characteristics of places also to the people that live there. Yeah. And that's, that just leads to kind of some of the nuance and complexity uh, getting lost. So just because, you know, in, as Jane said, you could live in a in a very wealthy place, but you, if you don't have that kind of security yourself, then that will still affect how you vote or the and other fact, way around. In fact, it could affect it. Even, you know, if you're an economically insecure person in a well-off area, that could make you more motivated. Exactly. To vote exactly. or to, or to It could yeah. really increase your sense of kind of disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than think, well, everyone's in the same boat. So, you know, that, that, that creates Exactly. A yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It's fascinating. Um, and uh, I know because we've spoken so much about the Red Wall. It's, yeah, it's just a really interesting thing. And the fact we can all now focus on sort of economic insecurity. That's the thing. And when will you get the results back from the survey you're currently doing? Yeah, we'll probably, um, so the survey will be in the field and then we, we do spend quite a long time making sure the data's really ship shape. Yeah. Um, so we'll be analysing that over the kind of next six to nine months. Lovely stuff. Well, we'll get you back and talk about that then. Uh, Professor Jane Green from Nuffield College at Oxford University and from the British Election Study and Dr Rose de Goose from the University of Reading. Thanks very much for coming in and joining us. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We're bringing the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from.